You're listening to the Voices Behind Women's Cricket Chat. That's Hannah, Georgie, Cassie, Mahika and Alex. Coming up on today's podcast... Coming up on today's podcast, we've got Middlesex, Sunrises and London Spirits all-rounder Naomi Datani. Now, we talked to Naomi about all things cricket, including being only the fifth woman to hit a century at Lord's and also hitting the fastest women's T20 century ever. We also talked to Naomi about the struggles of balancing faith and playing cricket and how she hopes to make positive change within the game. The first place that we we do want to start is obviously we're recording this the night after yesterday's match against Western Storm and obviously absolutely devastating heartbreaking for you guys. But how are you feeling? And talk us through the match because you were so close to getting that win on the board in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. And it just didn't happen right in that last over. Yeah, it was um, it was a tough day. I think you could just see it straight away from from where, how the game finished. I, I was standing at deep mid wicket and had a very good picture of the whole ground, including the supporters, and we were all just on the floor. And you know, it, cricket is actually a really cruel game. Like that that game was just a roller coaster. Like we we're in it, then you know we thought, okay, it would you know need to pull it back a little bit, but you could just see like how much passion all the girls have to really drive to win like just win this year like we there's nothing more that we want to do but actually it's really exciting as a team and how far we've come we've improved so much and a win's not far away and yeah I guess today this morning I felt like I was hit by a bus to be honest like all the adrenaline come down and everything but we've got to turn it around really quickly because we've got another game on Saturday so refreshed and ready to go again from tomorrow onwards. And obviously it's been sort of a turbulent time a little bit at Sunrises with Trevor Griffin departing and now being head coach of Western Storm. How challenging was it for you guys as players to face your former coach so soon? Yes, yeah, one of those things is something that we can't really control. And that's kind of what we said together in, in our huddle the day before uh, that game and, and yesterday, just saying, you know, with everything that's gone on as players, we've just become even closer and stronger. And maybe it's it's the drive and the unity that we needed because I'd, honestly, this is probably the most fun I've had on the pitch with the girls um, this year so far. So um, it's really exciting and I'm just happy that we're moving forwards and, and, and it's driven us to, to go forwards. Yeah, I think unity is such a key word, isn't it? And you can definitely kind of get that sense on social media at the moment about the togetherness of the group. And obviously a change in kind of the leadership towards the end of last year as well with Kelly Castle. How have you found her kind of coming into the mix um, as your kind of new leader for the season? Yeah, she's great. I mean, she she gets a grasp of like everyone's emotions and, you know, she's really passionate and and she's got a calm head on her as well. So it's something that we we needed and a, a bit of consistency as well from from last year. So, you know, all these little things, they're all just starting to piece together and we're just finally starting to settle. And I think that's the biggest difference. And she yeah, she's great. And mixed with all the pros together, we, we're kind of driving that culture and that environment that we want. So we've been constant throughout the whole winter and we're just trying to bring the wider squad and, and the academy girls that come through as well into the mix. And, and Kelly's a great leader in, in embodying all of our culture, culture and environmental environment and, and stuff. Yeah. And it must also be nice um, to have that working relationship with Kelly because you are vice captain to her. So um, what was it like to find out you were going to be vice captain for the 2022 season? Yeah, it's really exciting. It's probably um, a, it's a role that I had last year and the year before. It probably wasn't as well documented, but yeah, it's really exciting. I, I, you know, I've played a lot of, lot of cricket and a lot of experience and to kind of share that 
with Kelly and with the rest of the team it was just nice to nice to kind of share my experiences with the girls and I really enjoy leadership roles I've have done for a long time so it's something that comes quite natural to me and me and Kelly get on really well so it's a natural partnership when she's got the ball in her hand I take take over when she's when I've got the ball in in my hand she's um she's commanding and leading the troops so we work really well together and it has been kind of a tough few years and stuff without getting those wins on the board. So obviously you've said there is a switch now, a complete unity, positive kind of culture and everything. But what has the changes been to get to the point where you are now, where you are kind of really competitively chasing down those wins? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I think we had a really good winter. We started off in November in Cambridge doing some really tough fitness challenges with the girls and six weeks of hell actually there was a few buckets around um, for the girls and you know that kind of you know those challenges things like that 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 just brought us together the way we were supporting each other Um, and in those weeks we done a lot of work with our sports psychologist Um, we had lots of meetings about our culture and and who we want to be and what our identity is and then you know we've just brought in all the wider squad within within that and and then from a skills point of view you know we've all worked so hard it was probably the first winter we've had a bit of consistency we've had regular training more group sessions again adding that fitness element into it like you can just see on the pitch now like we're just running twos and sprinting at the ball and it and it just looks everything's just coming together really well so I think the winter has been a massive indicator of of why we are where we are today and you've got um, Laura Marsh as well as interim head coach would you hope that she becomes more of a permanent face or is it too soon to kind of make that call? I mean, yeah, I think the girls would, all of us would love for her to take on that role if she, if she wants it and if it, that's the right thing for her. She's great to have around her ex- playing experience and the way she just understands our, our emotions from her own experience is just, the, it's really great. And she's had her challenges with um, taking over the role as well. Um, so we're all here to like support her and make sure everything's nice and easy, but she's, she's great to have. And uh, I think we're very lucky to have her around Sunrisers. And uh, just on that pre-season warm-up stuff, we can't have you on here and not talk about the fact that you did score the fastest century in T20 cricket at Lords, and you are only the fifth woman to be on the honours board. Like, you must feel so proud and so pleased about that. Yeah, it was really exciting. I'll be completely honest, when it happened, I was, I just was like, just the lead up into that game, to be completely honest, I had four single figure scores. And I was, I just said to myself, I'm like, come on, Amy, you need to sort yourself out here. And to then go at Laws and just have a good time and do all the things that I set out to do was was really special and also there was a lot of people that I'd played for or against as well through the MCC and and various spectators so sitting back and reflecting it was really special and I yeah I definitely definitely it's not something you can say that you scored 100 at Lord so um, I guess it still for me hasn't really sunk in like it was a game of cricket for me at the end of the day but I'm sure in many years to come I'll I'll look back at it with like really fond memories and, and and take it in. That was um, one of the things I loved most about working with you during the 100. You were so humble and you were so, I just, I don't know how to describe it, but you just had this aura where you cared so much about your game and it's so great to see. And it's so great to see someone like you actually get out there and play cricket because obviously you're not that much older than me. Growing up, there weren't many South Asian cricketers, especially in the women's game. So it must feel so pleasing for you to be that, next generation's role model yeah and again like I guess in the last couple of years I've only really realized my responsibility as a as a South Asian woman playing sport and playing cricket and 
you know, even today I still look around and um, the numbers aren't quite there as to where I want it to be. But to be in a position in regional cricket and, and with the 100 and stuff, I just want to make sure I inspire a new generation of, of young girls to take up the sport and, and become professionals as well. I think um, there's a lot of girls playing, a lot of South Asian girls playing sport and it's just ten, making making them aware that they can actually do this as a career and trying to get through those barriers or education or whatever it might be. So yeah, I'm I'm lucky to be where I am. But yeah, I hope one day like other girls can see other of the same girls playing playing the sport at a higher level. Obviously, the chairman of Middlesex came out and said what he said about minorities not really training that hard in comparison to their white counterparts which isn't true because you are living proof that if you work hard, regardless of your background, you can make it. So I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on it, especially as you are a Middlesex player and perhaps for you being of South Asian descent, it probably wasn't the nicest thing to hear. You know, things like that, unfortunately, they still still happen. And that just shows how much education we still have to do about, you know, education and also research, finding out what really is stopping South Asian population to take up sport but you know from his point of view that's probably where the downfall was around the education and the statistics side of stuff you know it's hard to hear but also it just shows how much work we we still got to do and and to, yeah as I said I'll, I'd love to just be responsible for pushing that forward and making sure those those comments and those stats are going to continue to increase and uh, and make sure everyone's more educated around the area. So we've got Saka now as well. So that's obviously trying to increase elite performance as well, because obviously there's a lot of emphasis on the recreational game and getting just girls picking up at that. But like you mentioned, it's also about the pathway girls as well and how can we ensure that there isn't that dropout. So when you were growing up as well, was there any kind of challenges that you faced, especially in your teen years where cricket didn't seem like a possibility or did you manage to just kind of storm through it? When I look back at my journey into cricket, for the most part of my teenage years at school, and I always played cricket, you know, with Middlesex during the pathway with the women senior staff and, and and a few like Super 4 stuff at the time. But it was always a second fiddle to um, my education or maybe some other sports. Um, so I never really took it massively seriously. I just played, I went to training and I played games on the weekend. Up until I got to Loughborough University around 19, 20 years old, I was even into my third year. I remember a really significant moment where I, w- I got dropped from the MCCE programme and uh, I was like, hang on a second, like I need to actually, I want to see what this potential everyone keeps telling me I have. So up until, yeah, my teenagers, I didn't really take it very seriously. Like there was nothing stopping me from doing so to some degree I had a lot of support from Middlesex as well but I didn't to be honest as I said because I didn't know anyone else played sport or what elite sport looked like I didn't actually know what more I had to do so yeah until I got to university and I made that made that switch and I was like oh I need to do my nutrition SNC recovery all, all of that kind of stuff and then I just went from there and it has taken a lot of investment post 20 so for the last seven eight years it's been tough um to constantly invest in what I need to do to almost catch up with the other girls that maybe were in England pathways from 15, 16, 17. I I never really had that. So I had a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, because I guess with Loughborough as well, like the MCCU programme gave a taste of that professional environment before you've now got access to the professional environment. And it must be harder for yourself and those who are kind of over the 20 
probably say let's say about 26 plus because you've had to experience the county days where some places you had to pay to play lack of sponsorship and all of that kind of fun stuff and now you're, you're getting paid to play and it's completely different eras isn't it so how have you found that kind of transition between the days where you're just oh I'm, I'm here playing cricket with my mates to now oh this is my career as soon as I got that contract it was like a massive relief at that time I was like Oh, I might have to get a full-time job you know we're in the middle of the pandemic as well and I was unemployed I'd just come back from Perth and I was like oh and then when we got the contract it was a massive relief I was like oh I don't have to worry about going to cricket uh, sorry going to coaching or working or whatever it was and then go to cricket and just be tired 12 13 hours of the day whereas now it's just so good to just relax you know today's a great example I've had a day off I've done absolutely nothing I've just chilled gone for a swim gone for a walk and and properly relaxed whereas I wouldn't have been able to do that before as a non-pro I would have had to go to work or uh, and do something like that so it it's such a relief to just concentrate on cricket and and do nothing else basically you were named in that number of 41 players to get the first lot of regional contracts. And then you also retained your contract and are now part of the 58-strong team of players who are professionally contracted. How pleasing is it for you to not only be a professional cricketer, but to have retained your pro contracts? Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, one-year contracts, you're kind of always under that pressure with it, but to retain it is is great. And you know, I'm someone when you get an opportunity like that, I'm not going to I'm not going to waste it. So for every year that I have a contract, fingers crossed, I'm just going to make the most of it and do as, as best as I can and, and just keep going. So it's really exciting. And like long may my professional career continue because I want to do this for as long as I can and, and take it as far as I can as well. And you are a representative as well on the PCA as well, aren't you, in terms of getting that player voice? And I know I've spoken to some of the other players who are calling for these longer contracts, because as much as it's amazing that you've retained it, if you hadn't, that kind of one year gives that level of uncertainty again. So are you kind of rallying at the moment to try and get these longer deals in and try and make it a little bit easier for players? It's definitely a hot topic of conversation um, every time we meet up with the girls and and chat to the PCA and I think they're 100% working on it with the ECB so I'm I'm sure next year uh, there will be multi-year contracts or there will be some different um, salaries and, and things like that as well so it's something that we push for from day one. Um, not to say that we're not grateful for the uh, the contracts, but definitely for for people like me of you know twenty eight and other girls like trying to get a mortgage and stuff is like very difficult when you have a one year contract. So they're very aware of it, and it's something that we we're definitely pushing for, and uh, and I'm very hopeful that it should come next year. I uh, I sort of wanted to take it back to the beginning of how you got into cricket because you were ten, and I believe you went to like an all boys cricket club and sort of found your love for cricket that way which we've heard from a lot of people so I wanted to hear your perspective on how you got into the game that you love today. Yeah it's um well as as do most female cricketers they're playing uh, cricket with in the back garden with, with their older brother or young brother what it whatever it might be and that's definitely the same same for me in the back garden with mum and dad and playing with my brother and my mum would go mad every time we hit hit the plant pots and break the plant pots and um, me and my brother used to actually try and piece together the plant pots with some glue and stuff as well and just so she so she would never find out um sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't um 
and then yeah my brother actually just saw some kind of potential said oh you actually really enjoy this and you're actually quite good at it and he was the one who found the local boys club um, called Perivel Finitions down the road and yeah joined joined the boys club and this was the only girl and other teams would just be like oh they got a girl that we're going to win this game and all that kind of stuff and at that time as I started I was more of a bowler than I was a batter so for a lot large part of my younger teenage years I was more more of a bowler so when I got the ball in hand playing boys cricket I would just try to bowl as fast as I could and try and hit the stumps so I remember a game where a guy was like, oh, you're not going to get me out. Um, and then I ended up getting like three wickets in the in the over. Um, and it was one of my favourite memories. And so, yeah, I just went through that and and that opened up doors towards Middlesex and, and other things after that as well. So, yeah, I've played for many teams throughout the years, but that definitely sticks, sticks in my mind as playing with the boys down the road and, and everything has just stemmed from there. Yeah, because how do you feel about it now as well? Because so many players do talk about playing like boys and men's cricket and stuff. And it kind of gives you that added level of, oh, I need to prove myself more, not just for myself, but for my gender too. And now because there are kind of more girls teams setting up and everything, there's some girls who thankfully won't have to kind of experience all of the resistance that we've had to face just to kind of play cricket. But do you think they're missing an opportunity a little bit to get that competitive edge? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's great for girls to see other girls playing and, you know, you're getting more girls play. But yeah, you at some point you might be missing a competitive edge. So I always encourage like young girls to go and play like above their year group or go and play with boys that are maybe one year younger than than them or the same age you know whatever it might be to keep challenging them I still do it today like I'll go and play some men's games because it puts me massively out of my comfort zone and also you know I get so much stick for also walking out with a Middlesex helmet as well so like just to put myself under that pressure to go and play like it's really important so I just encourage all, all the young girls to like keep whether it's even above uh, an age group in the girls game, you know, even when I was younger, I played, I was 14, but played for under 17s. Like that was a massive challenge. That was the first time I discovered I need to wear a thigh pad because I'm going to get hit. So things like that, definitely they, you know, it might be missing, but I would encourage the girls to play at a high level if, if they want the challenge. And you mentioned previously that when you started out, you were predominantly a bowler. So when did you switch to becoming an all-rounder? And also how taxing or how difficult is it for you to be an opening bowler as well as an opening batter? Yeah, it's taxing for sure. So the batting side of things, I went to, when I finished university, I went to Australia, Melbourne when I was 21. And that was the first time in general that I said, I'm going to commit 100% to cricket and not have any education either. And I worked with the coach, Carl Sandry at the time, and he, and he was he was really great in really spending hours and hours with me throwing balls at the club. And I just worked on my batting the whole time. I went, before I left Australia, I was batting at a nine for Middlesex. And when I came back, we had a new coach and Dunks at the time didn't want to open the batting and I was like oh I'll, I'll take that spot and then um, the new coach was like yeah sure took it and then you know just made it my own and and put that and having known that I put the work in in Australia as well batting in the top order there as well and getting that experience it kind of set me in good stead I still had a lot of learning to do that year but that was almost a really important year for me a turning point 
I wasn't even in the KSL team when I came back that year and to then show what I could do with the bat and and make that switch was was really good and it just added an, another element to my game and then over the years it's just been really difficult to yeah to balance to balance the two skills and kind of understand what kind of role I want to be you know one time I was a bowling all-rounder then I turned into a batting all-rounder now I would say I'm fully like in the middle so yeah I, I have to probably do an extra training session in the week to to kind of top up on one of the other skills but I, I love them both equally now and, and definitely the bowling the love for bowling has come back um, over the last two years as well so um, it's really exciting. So just quickly talk us through about that love for bowling so are you okay to talk about kind of where it kind of disappeared to and like any kind of struggles that you've had to overcome to get that love back? Yeah, I think when I made that transition to batting and then everyone kind of saw me, they were almost like really excited by it. And then when the KSL started, it was like, oh, we want a left-handed batter because there was no one really around that batted left-handed. So over time in those four years, I guess, of KSL and everyone started to see me as a as a batter. So in my head, I was like, okay, I should probably work on my batting a little bit more. And then with the bowling, because I wasn't really getting an opportunity, I kind of took a back seat on it. And then every time I did bowl, it was getting frustrating. And then I just, it was just a downward spiral. And then when I went to Perth in 2020, um, at the start of the year, I, I don't know, that winter, I just had done a lot of work um, just before I went and just said, oh, let me just get it, give it a go. Let me just actually work on it properly this time. I went to Perth and started opening the bowling over there and just again worked on it. And I just absolutely loved it. And then 2020 or even last, only last year, halfway through, you know, I knew I could bowl fast, but I never gave that a go as well. Um, so I was like, okay, let me just run in hard and bowl as fast as I can. Let's see, just see what happens. And then it's just stuck and that's got put me back on the map again. And so again, I've just had a really good winter bowling and I've just absolutely loved it. And also just probably managing my body and my workload has been probably the difficult thing. Like I had a stress factor two years ago, so that was frustrating. I'm really rubbish at mobility and flexibility so that doesn't help me <laughs> help me at all um so just working on all those things and and then I guess my sports science brain comes into it it's like a really fun thing for me to work on myself and work in all those areas and and get that love that and that's probably what's made me love bowling again you're enjoying your bowling again enjoying your batting again and I just want to focus on your batting because it can be so hard as an opener and stuff if you're not scoring the runs and stuff like we mentioned earlier like and how do you kind of balance the psychology of that because it can be really tough and you've got to kind of just remember okay like one score doesn't define me and what does that look like in practice do you know that's a really it's a really hard question to because I think there's a lot of batters and a lot of people across the world still trying to figure that out but I think the ones that do it the best are the ones that kind of stay neutral so even when you do score runs or even when you don't score runs you're just staying at like a middle ground you don't get too high you don't get too low it's really important to celebrate your hundreds and your 50s and so on but also it's not to get too high because then you put expectation on yourself you put that added pressure and then you know when you score low scores if you then you're the same thing you're putting expectation pressure on yourself to then go and score runs then you start doing different things so I've learned a lot over this winter on on mindset about just trying to stay neutral and trying to just reflect in a like an, in a non-emotional way and just going back to your processes or your routines or whatever it might be to kind of reset and go again and yeah I, I've worked with our sports psychologist a lot on that she's been a, a massive help um, for me to to just keep going again reset go again and just make sure the score you don't attach the scores to 
your worth also. And I think that's really important that it's just the game of cricket and we just go again the next day. But to get to that point is is really hard. I've done a lot of like journaling and analysing of routines and stuff as well. So um, yeah, I, that's that. I think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, that's going to be such useful <laughs> advice for any kind of young girls listening, especially and boys too. But I think just getting that mentality right is so important. Just shifting it forward to the hundred. What was it like for you to play with players you wouldn't necessarily play with at regional level and even some of the international names like Deepti Sharma and Chloe Tryon and of course DeAndre Dotton. So what was it like for you? Yeah, it was really exciting that, you know, just there was a few girls that I hadn't played with before. There was, you know, a few from Western Storm in the past, but to play with like the overseas and get their experience and just chat to them about how they do stuff. And actually it's it's quite reassuring that they go through the same things that you go through. So it's quite nice to talk to them and, and have hear their experiences and how they get through things. And then to, to team up with the other regional girls as well, to also see how they go about their business. But one thing that really stuck out to me with, with London Spirit and the girls that we had was, I remember a warm-up game and, you know, you talk about basics and doing the basics well and in fielding and, and things like that and having energy and and so on. We've never played together. And I remember the first game, it just felt like we played together for for ages because everyone just knew what to do. And the standard was just so high and everyone just had a great time on the pitch together and bounced off each other. So it was really cool to kind of just share all those similarities with the other girls. And everyone was just really lovely in in, in that team as well. So personalities just fit really well. And um, I'm really excited to go again with those girls this year. I think that was one of the things that struck me about working for London Spirit was that cohesiveness and that everyone was there genuinely for each other. Everyone looked out for each other. It was so nice from an outsider who wasn't really a cricketer in that sense. But it was so nice to see you all, like, especially you, you were teaching deep deep things that she probably didn't understand. I remember we all had to explain to her who um, Gwen Stefani was because she didn't. didn't (laughs) But I think another thing that really struck me about you, Dats, is that you were just you were just so lovely I know I've already said that but you were just you were willing to answer the questions that I had like I remember I asked you when we were at Old Trafford because you were hitting the ball so hard I was like gosh where does all that power come from and you were nice enough to be like oh you know I just got to generate it and stuff like that so I think that's one of the things that I will take away from my time at the hundreds well that's that's really nice and um yeah as I said everyone just fit in like including yourself and and the rest of the off-field team like it was just such a joy to be a part of and as I said I just can't wait to get going again and and do it all over again because I think it, it can be quite hard for um like especially us like Alex and myself and everyone like who's working within the game sometimes because it's a difficult environment to come into as an outsider sometimes and if you know players and stuff and you've got that advantage, but because of the way that the game is still kind of in this emerging professionalism kind of stage, if you're just there with your phone, trying to get a video and stuff, some players don't quite get it, do they? They're like, yeah. what are they doing? Like, <laughs> you know, it's there's still that kind of media gap, I guess, of people being like, oh, what are they doing? Why are they here? So how did you find it all and stuff? Because I guess you were used to it because of the KSL. Did you really enjoy having like a, a content creator following you around? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, like I'm quite shy sometimes. So like for me, like I would want to do stuff, but then I always need a little bit of a push when it comes to those kinds of things. But yeah, it's really cool to create content because it, at the end of the day, that's what the fans want to see. That's what young boys and girls want to see. And that's how we're going to grow the game. So like it was 
yeah okay it might be you know you can see the girls that were really natural and you can see the ones that oh I don't I don't want to do that but I think once you were comfortable with with Alex so when Alex was there when people got comfortable you know it was it was it was really easy and I think at the end of the day people do want the little bit of fame on social media now and again as well so yeah it was good fun and um, you can see them how much of an impact those kind of things make when you have people filming stuff behind the scenes and I guess fans can get that much closer to the players. Yeah, it's such an important part and it's sometimes hard as like working in the media side of things to get that balance right because obviously we're not there to be everybody's friend or whatever but at the same time it's also quite hard because sometimes you feel a little bit like oh we just think I'm some weirdo trying to you know fangirl or whatever else and it's like that's not the case yeah no definitely not I think I think that everyone knows what what the objective is and um I mean I did worry for you Alex a couple of times when you come in so you could get trying to get the create the best content ever and I was like oh my gosh she's gonna get hit by the wall but you know arguably that's how you're going to get the best content making sure you're there and don't miss anything basically and um yeah it's really exciting it must be a tough job I have to say I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it myself but it's a tough job and I guess everyone's very grateful for people like you guys to to champion and share share everyone's stories as well to be fair I only got hit once and that was when we were at uh, Sophia Gardens and that was when um Sophie Monroe kind of hit the ball I wasn't even standing anywhere close to the nets and I just got hit I also think that um, Deeply thought I was just her professional photographer because she's like, <laughs> film me, film me all the time, film me. Oh, she, loved, think, she loved it. She, she loved it. I think that was when one trick that the uh, social media team missed out on because obviously Deeply's got a huge following and of course they want to pan to more of the England players, but you're missing such a huge market there. So maybe next year if she gets picked for London's Spirit, because unfortunately she wasn't picked this year. You never know, she might get picked. We don't, we, the lineup's still not um, fulfilled. So, yeah. yeah, she was very much like... But Deep Tea was always one of those, in, especially in training as well. She's like, easy, Batesy, easy, easy. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone else was just like going for it. And she was like, easy, easy. <laughs> so the back of Deep Tea, we all love her. She's all a great character, hysterical. But I wanted to know for you, what did it feel like to walk out to that crowd at Lords for the first game? It was pretty special. I've definitely had goosebumps like walking out of the archway and the, you know, fire running out to the middle and there's just massive adrenaline rush, really. And then every time I looked up and looked around, you know, there was more and more people in the crowds. And it was just really exciting as you know that's as a player like that's exactly what you want to do you want to stand there you want to play you want to play in front of people watching and things like that so it was really exciting I think I went through all the emotions of adrenaline and grateful and can't believe I'm here um, and all that kind of stuff so yeah it was really exciting and yeah I hope I hope we get the same amount of crowds this year as well. And how do you find it from a distraction perspective? Because from going from your Middlesex days where you get small numbers in to then KSL days where you get more numbers in and then the 100, you've got so many more eyes on you. You've got, like you said, all that kind of fanfare, the fireworks, the waiting before you go out to that, whereas there, they're dictating it for you. So how do you find that? Yeah, it's very strange. Like I did go through moments of just almost like zoning out and thinking oh my god all these people people are watching me like they're watching me do every every tiny little bit but I guess in a way as you mentioned like yeah going from Middlesex games to KSL to then that it's almost been a really nice progression so 
I've learned skills through all of that to then, you know, then get to the hundred and actually say, well, this is the same thing, but just maybe, a, you know, 50% bigger, but almost I've got the skills now to, to handle it. And I think if you can just concentrate on the game and what you need to do, nothing else matters. Um, I'm someone who, once I'm in the, in the game, I don't, I can't like switch off outside to what the crowd is doing or anything like that. Even though if my friends and family are there, although I do try and find where my mum and dad are sitting all the time. I can't like zone off because then I'll get into trouble and then like don't concentrate on watching the ball and things like that. So I think once you can get good at zoning out and and getting into the moment, I think it's almost you could do it anywhere. When you then step off the field and then you look up and you can see all the people, that's the moment that you take everything in and realise like how cool it is to be there. Because at the moment it all feels quite new still, whereas hopefully in a few years this is going to be so normalised and we won't be asking players like, oh, how did you find it? Because it's just going to be part and parcel of the game. So what do you think needs to happen to get it to that point where it does become normalised? Yeah, I think I think just consistency of what's already being done. I think, you know, the visibility, I'm pretty sure I saw yesterday that there was, on just on live streams, like, I don't know, over 100,000 people watch women's cricket, regional women's cricket, which is amazing. I think the more people keep, can keep talking about it, the more it's exposed, and the more we keep doing that, then that would just be a given that the fans will be there and the want for people to come to the games will just be there we just need to not stop and the more it's consistent the more in time as you said we won't be talking about things like that and it will just be about it will just be about the game so the more we can keep going and keep pushing then the more the cricket side of stuff will start coming into into conversation more and and I think it has already I think people are starting to talk more about the cricket than, than things like that but we still got a lot of work to do for sure. There are a lot of close games in the 100, especially for London Spirit. How are your nerves for it? And I've heard some people even say that the women's 100 was better than the men's. They were more entertaining, more thrilling. So um, what's your opinion on that? There were a lot of um, close games in the, in, in the 100 for the women. Again, like just, just all the little experiences that I've had like over time in playing in different, you know, the 2019 KSL final and 2018 even. I think I was like, well, I was going in and I was so nervous. I was like, I can't handle this. I can't do it. And I think I was shaking and I just, yeah, that that was a really, the first time I experienced that. So now I know exactly what to do. Like, that's not to say that I don't have nerves. I'm even yesterday in the Sunrisers game when I was standing on the field, like I was definitely nervous, but you, I just you guess you just have to go for it and know that like trust just trust your instincts and trust trust yourself with with what you're doing and and essentially like the, that's what you want is the close games the nervous games like it's way more fun playing in those games than getting an outright win but you want to make sure you're on the right side of it as well so um yeah it's uh, it's handling nerves they're there they're always there just making sure you stay in the moment and and do what you're what you need to do in that moment as well. And we'll talk a little bit about the KSL. And I think, was Deepti Sharma involved in that 2019 final as well, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. So she's had a few plugs in this podcast today. But how important was the KSL for you? Because that was kind of the first proper professional, although it was only for a few weeks, it was perhaps the first professional kind of glimpse of what was to come now. Yeah, it was a really important moment. You could see that that was kind of the building blocks for the regional cricket and yeah, when you know when you were there for the five six weeks and you experienced that professionalism and training every day and being in the, almost in a bubble, it definitely gave like all the girls like skills to 
now that who are everyone's professional to kind of transition into this world and um, so it was really important that we had that exposure and played with other international players on a big stage and had the media had the had the fans in as well and, and things like that so it was definitely a really important stepping stone for for what we have now and definitely put a lot of players in a good good way and good preparation for them today. And can you remember like making your debut in the KSL and the thoughts and feelings that kind of went into that and how proud you were? Yeah, I remember, as I said, that year was a really weird year anyway. I, I got drafted in a week, the competition, not competition started, the, everyone had already been at Surrey Stars for one week. And then I joined in. So everyone had their kit, everyone had all these things, I didn't have anything. So I remember walking into that environment and being really nervous. And then, then to find out I was going to play, I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting this. And then, yeah, getting my cap and, and having that feeling. I think, if I'm honest, I can't actually remember where we were playing. But just to just be around and, and play in one of the first games of the KSL was really exciting. And I think there were quite a few, a good crowd in. I think we might have been at Guildford. And um, yeah, it was it was really exciting just to be a part of a part of the first year of the KSL and ha- make that debut and get the ball rolling that year. And what kind of inspired the switch to Western Storm as well? Obviously picking up plenty of silverware across your time in the KSL, but what kind of dictated that? Probably a decision that wasn't up to me. Um, but, you know, that these things happen. After two years at Surrey Stars, didn't play many games in that second year. So I kind of knew it was coming to some some degree. You know, again, that was probably a really significant moment where I didn't actually know where my neck, where I was going to play. I didn't really do too much to put myself out there apart from just having a couple of conversations. And then, and then, yeah, I just went to a couple of trials at Western Storm and I absolutely loved it. And I just felt really comfortable in that environment and, and, um, and then managed to show a lot more of myself there as well. So, so then going into Western Storm, that was a really nice fit for me. And it was nice to be away from London as well to, kind of just somewhere different and um, and enjoy that part of it as well. The best part of the world. But I'll pass you over to Alex for the next question. So we've obviously talked a lot about your heritage and being a British South Asian. I wanted to know, how do you deal with the pressures of being that sort of focal point for female cricketers? And how do you sort of deal with the pressures of balancing your faith alongside cricket? I think today what like inspires me just playing cricket is knowing that I'm hopefully inspiring a new generation of South Asian girls to play to play um, cricket. But yeah, it is a hard balancing act. Every year I come across social events or weddings and uh, things things like that that I've had to had to manage. And emotionally, it's really draining because arguably my family still don't don't understand what it takes to be an athlete so it is really difficult to explain myself over and over again as to why I'm doing what I'm doing because essentially it's a 24-hour job it's not just nine to five so I do I do struggle even to the, to this day um, my brother had a baby girl and that was really exciting but it's in the middle of the cricket season I've only got to see her once and then it was my cousin's wedding so in between all the county games and training like I had to go to the wedding in between so where I probably want to just relax and and things like that it's hard to it's hard to switch off and and do that so I've just had to get really strong at saying no to to lots of things probably more than maybe other people have to because of the expectation of that I have to be at some of these events but at the end of the day like I think everyone's still really proud of me and um, really supportive of me so I can't say that it's not that they don't understand they just wish I was there and but just it's hard to understand the job that I do so yeah it's hard 
Uh, and that's kind of what I want to pass on to the younger girls around having the confidence to say no and really if you want to do something in life then like you need to go go for it and I know that there's always always going to be obstacles in the way whether it's faith or family or friends or whatever it might be so yeah that's I guess my message to the younger girls yeah I can uh, totally relate to that because although I'm not Hindu I am Catholic I always get sort of the same questions that you do oh is this the right career path for you oh do you not want to do something more you know with a with more of a plan what do your parents think and I just I think that for me, my parents have always said, do what you love. Don't don't waste your time doing something you're not going to be happy with. And I'm so grateful. And I'm sure you are too, to have parents that back you in that sense, because there's no point doing something you don't like. And also, who cares what your parents, like about if you're applying for a job or something that's not particularly academic, like sport or journalism, like it doesn't matter what your parents think because they're not going on to do the job. So that's why when I look at you and I see Isha Gura in the media, it's such an inspiration for me because growing up predominantly in the journalism industry, there's no one who looked like me. And now it's sort of becoming that way. And like you were saying how you want to be that inspiration. I kind of want to do that with the podcast and with my job, just so that people don't have to struggle as much as we did. Yeah, yeah, 100% correct. Like the more, yeah, the more that people like you, me, everyone that just goes and does what they want to do, you're just going to grow the next generation of, of doing it and, and you'll start seeing changes. Like already we're seeing so many changes in even just, I guess, the film industry or, you know, just people on TV. Like it's so cool seeing South Asian women more represented on, on the screen and you can see them, see them there. So same as in sport, we've got a lot of work to do, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's not easy but we we'll get there like we'll get there even as a 28 year old woman still doing yeah arguably successful in what I'm doing it's still difficult conversations to have with people around me but um I wouldn't have it any other way and I just wondered as well what took you to number 10 this week I honestly I don't know when I got the message about um saying oh um we've got an appearance for you um do you want to go to 10 Downing Street I was like what what, what on earth this go what, I was like this is a bit weird isn't it so as I as I got there I was like yeah it was a it was Middlesex day that day and there was a school that went to 10 Downing Street as well along with the participation team at Middlesex um, and a couple of the men's players as well and we went there we played a bit of cricket in at 10 Downing Street in 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 the garden and then we went to the front of the door took a couple of photos and then out walked Boris Johnson and I was like oh my god I wasn't even expecting Boris Johnson to be here he's an interesting person to say the least um, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of people were telling me can you please bowl a bouncer or something at him I was like mm, I'll try my best but I'm not gonna I can't promise anything so that was an interesting experience and but on the whole it was very surreal just walking around walking around inside getting a little tour and a few stories stories inside um one of my favorite ones was when they have an evacuation there's these two like you need to save the prime minister and you need to do something else and then the third thing you need to do is to take the two pictures that are worth 17 million pounds each and I was like are you serious you're going to take the pictures in an evacuation as well um so learning things like that was pretty cool but it's not every day that um cricket takes you to 10 downing street it's probably something I'll remember and for a very long time <laughs> you're too nice you're too nice and just to kind of wrap up now 
obviously, let's think about sunrises. The season ahead, we're recording this during the Charlotte Edwards Cup. You've got Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy as well to try and tackle. What's your hopes and dreams for the season ahead? I think we just want to keep improving, like game by game. And we know if we do the things that we speak about each game, then they will turn into wins. Um, a lot of the girls and 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 myself included, you know, aspirations. It's as simple as that. We just want to win. It's, we're not chasing. We're not chasing trophies. We're not chasing it. We're just chasing the things that we can control. Obviously, winning trophies is what every team wants to do. Um, but we have to recognise where we are and we're such a good team we're you know we just want to be celebrated we want to celebrate um our successes and and if it stays within our bubble it stays within our bubble but we're, we're here to change the narrative and I want to change the narrative of sunrises because we're such a good team and um so much potential and we will get over the line and and that's all we need to do is getting over the line more times than we did last year um so that's the goal I think that is a beautiful way to round up on it. And Hannah is echoing my sentiments. So that's something we like to do at the end of the pod is just ask some fun questions, questions that don't really make you think. Don't worry if you struggle too much. Charlotte Edwards struggled on this when we asked her some questions. So <laughs> there we go. One we like to start off with is what would be your ideal item at a standard village cricket tea? I'm going to have to go, I'm actually going to go like scones and jam and cream. I think you may have um, started the debate on how it's pronounced, but... Uh, whatever, whatever it's called. I say scones, so it's no um, skin off my back. I'll let Hannah ask the one about sledging, because it is her favourite one, to hear what other people come up with. Yeah, to be fair, it makes me sound a bit weird, to be fair, but I used to chat rubbish in the fields. And it's probably not even sledging, it's just shit chat, basically. But what is your favourite sledge? Well, I'm too nice for sledging, but um, I, I have to say this year, I've just caught, anytime anyone edges the ball, I'm like, oh, you're so lucky. Like, how the hell have you got the ball down there? And that's all I say. And then I walk back to my mark and then they do it again. And I'm like, you're very lucky. That's all I say. And that sounds very nice, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> I mean, you, you didn't say it very nice, though. There was definitely power behind that, you know. There was definitely, like, a, a warning there, like, you're lucky, I'm going to get you next ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean... Also, the dart stare down is quite frightening. I would be like shitting myself if you stared me down and then said you got lucky. Yeah, I would. I would actually say the stare is probably more sledge than actual words. <laughs> That's all you need. Last TV show you binge watched? I'm trying to think. I don't watch much TV. Um, I think it was a Netflix show called Stay Close. I don't know what it. I don't know what it was. I, I have to say I don't watch too much TV. If I binge anything, it's Friends over and over again I'll accept that yeah Yeah, but you will take it last book you read dare to lead by Brené Brown that was the last last book I read which was very good did you enjoy your time on a university challenge gosh yeah that was uh also a very interesting experience never expected to get to the semi-final let alone let alone answer one or two questions right which I was very happy about all I said to myself need to press the buzzer and just try um so to go and get a question right I was very happy about that you did better than Monty to be fair yeah I'll I'll take that I don't think he even pressed the buzzer (laughs) (laughs) did laugh for proud so it's all good yeah that's all that counts I'm so glad we had that captain of ours Kate I think Kate Fox yes basically carried the team (laughs) she was smart super smart. smart very smart favorite musician or artist 
Oh, favorite musician. I like Khalid. I don't know if you've heard of him, but yeah, um, they use my favorite. It's very good driving songs for me over, over and over again on all the long trips that we have. He's very soulful. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Very soulful. Yeah. Favorite genre of music. I have the like R and B, bit of house music occasionally. Um, maybe a few Afro beats as well, which is pretty cool. Favorite teammate in any of the teams that you've played in. Uh, I would say Joe Gardner at the moment. Um, yeah, very good friend with her. Um, so, yeah. Who's got the worst chat in the team? I think I know who this is, but... It's going to have to be Grace Scrivens. Yep. She came out with some absolute crackers yesterday. I was like, where do you even get this from? I think I think one of them, I have to share this one, because it, it, we got, got a wicket, and then she goes, come on, guys, we need to get a couple more wickets, you know, bang, bang, cauliflower. I was like what what even is that so yeah that was quite funny was that after getting have a night out or before so okay yeah have a night yeah. was her cauliflower yeah well you never know <laughs> i don't know what does it even mean like kids these days hey it's always oh, bingo. I, I don't know i don't know she made one referencing hummus as well i was like i don't know what goes in your brain um but she's, she's healthy like, yeah exactly um but yeah she's she's got shit chat but great chat at the same time yeah to be fair kelly told us um one time she was talking to her about hannah montana and she had no idea what hannah montana was oh no it's the 18 year old in her for for you i was like (laughs) this is a good question has kelly taught you any of her tap dancing yet no, but we we keep telling her she needs to bring like some of her. She used to do a bit of baton twirling as well. So I was like, can you bring some of this stuff in so we can learn how to do it? But I haven't learned any tap dancing yet. No, to be fair, I told her if she gets a wicket, she's got to whip out the gritty. <laughs> whip out the gritty. Oh, I'll remind her of that next time. Right. Do we think that's plenty of questions, plenty of gritty? It's been so lovely to chat to you, Dats. Thank you. I'm glad... Uh, I'm glad we done this after so long. I know I said no yeah. a long time ago, but there's plenty more to talk about since that moment. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we yeah. really appreciate it. Cause yeah, we just thought we'll, we'll try one more time and just see because yeah. we really wanted to get you on here. And obviously you're an amazing player. We want to cut, try and cover as many of the pros as possible. And you're such a good ambassador for both the South Asian community, but cricket generally too. So absolute yeah. honour. Thank you very much. No, it was really fun. It was really fun. Thank you. Massive thank you to Naomi for coming on and being the first guest of season five. We wish her well for the season and she seems to be getting into a bit of good form with the bat anyway, scoring a couple of half centuries already in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. It was really great to hear Naomi speak so openly about the game and about her struggles of, you know, loving bowling, hating bowling, falling back in love with it and just being that all-round trailblazing person that she is. And if you'd like to keep up to date with Naomi and whatever she's doing, on Twitter she is at Naomi Datani and on Instagram she is at Naomi.Datani. And if you also want to keep up to date with Sunrises and see how they get on during the season, then they are at Sunrises Crick on Twitter and at Sunrises Cricket on Instagram. Also, just bear in mind, if you do want to keep up to date with the Sunrises, that it is the Sunrises Regional Cricket Team and not Sunrises Hyderabad. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat. 
on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at Hannity1194, at GeorgiaHeath27, at Cassie Coombs98, at Mihika Varshney, and I'm at Alex James. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time.